Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm a feminist, but Anthony Bridgerton from Bridgerton. Four. <laughs> oh, I enjoyed that, Deb. I really I don't even know who you're talking about and I love it. You know, Bridgerton. It was on over the break. It was yeah, on over I I mean, the it. break. The break from what? From yeah. not leaving the house. The break between the time I didn't leave the house and I didn't leave the house. Uh, yeah, that the one. Christmas break. It's a romp. That's clear. Yeah. A period romp. It's a re- restoration romp. With Oof. lots of anticipation of sex, description of sex, young women who are about to be married or have a bit on the side before they get married asking about what is sex, and then loads and loads of sex. Uh, and it's good sex. It's like it's. it was written by a man, I'm disappointed to say. It's a, Brit- <laughs> it's a show about British women mostly, and it was written by an American man. But that's where we are in the history mm. of television. And it's a lot of fun. It's got our guilty feminist friend Nicola Coughlin in it. Mm. who played Claire the Wee Lesbian in Dairy Girls. And she's been on the show a couple of times and she's also done Secret Policeman's Tour stuff with us and she's brilliant. And she's in it. So that was my initial, she was posting about it before it came on. So I thought, I'll give it a look. It's now become a huge hit, huge, huge hit. It's erotica for women in many ways, as well as being, you know, brilliant, loltastic fun and is very escapey. Deb, nobody believes that you're watching it for the storylines. Don't worry. <laughs> Listen, I'm, 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 re- I look, look, reading look, for the I'm reading it for the articles. Yeah, that's clear. I'm a feminist, but I had to get my husband to fix the sound on my microphone before this recording. Oh, I saw it. I witnessed it. I saw you try and have a go and then go, I'll just get my husband. I did a really good go. I worked It was a good go. It was a really good go. You tried hard. You didn't give in at the first, Mm. but he did ultimately fix it, I think. No, he didn't. He couldn't fix it. We ended up having to just use the good old headphones plugged into the computer. Well, there you are. What you've proven so, is men are no better than women. That's a feminist act, if anything. I'm a feminist, but Simon Bassett from Bridgerton. <laughs> I mean, seriously, he's the one. He's going to be James Bond. He's got that intensity <laughs> and that... Better so, than Idris? I don't know. They say Idris Elba's going to be too old. Idris is too old for nothing. But this, Idris is getting better with age. I'm just telling you what I've read on Twitter. Don't blame me, blame Twitter. 
Well, that's not news. That's not a news, a credible news source. Are you suggesting that the Battle of Arvancourt is not a great place to get your news? Because that is the same. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, <laughs> Anthony Bridgerton is like ostensibly like a sort of unreconstructed man. Like he's shagging around, but his sister has to marry the right person, etc., and so forth. You know, right. the standard patriarchy. No prophylactics, I'm sure. Uh don't think they're using prophylactics. No. Are I don't think there's any condom action. No. Just a plazo bag? What are they using? I just, it's too shiny to get into that kind of messy. There's no yeah. semen in this show. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, when they go into a ballroom, there's a string quartet playing a Billie Eilish song. It's that kind of thing. Oh, dear. So there's no, no it's right, Joy. I, I listen, <laughs> you will find a lot of listeners Going to the Battle of Arden, of course, simply to tell you that this is a brilliant show. Look, lots of people, I'm sure it's very good. It's just restoration is not my era No, and there's also critique about, you know, all sorts of intersectional things and, you know, as as there always is on everything. And so I I won't get into that because this is my famous butt segment. I'm just having Because you're flooring. You're trying to floor. Jonathan Bailey in Phoebe Waller-Bridge's show Crashing, the show she did before. He is lovely looking. Would you say this is World of the Fours? Yes, it's World <laughs> 4 or 3. It is. Um, Simon <laughs> Branson, on the other hand, is a good guy in the show. Okay. But, of course, you know, characters are complicated. Nobody's all good. Uh, but Simon <laughs> Bassett, I think, has got the real sex appeal. He takes the gold medal in this. And what, does I would he, say, what does he do for you that you think, oh, yeah, he's It's just one. a look, isn't it? It's just a charisma. It's just a sex appeal. It's yeah. just a sort of... I'm a feminist, but I put on makeup for this podcast. Yes, you did. I just... Mm. I just felt like death and I'm like, I've got to put a bit of concealer on for these women. I don't know. I mean, they're talking about saving the Amazon ranges and I'm like, oh, my eyebrows are a little uneven. I am in the same pyjamas I woke up in. I haven't showered today. There's been no call for it. No, I had a bath with a one-year-old. So am I really clean? No, no. definitely not. Worse than oh, well, I, I, I only got dressed for this as well. I wasn't dressed before the podcast. So. <laughs> I don't, look, I'm in a T-shirt that's pyjamas. Mm. Like no one would have known that I'm not wearing I'm, a bra. I'm in a top that um, fit me when I was much skinnier and when I was pregnant and now is getting a little tight. <laughs> was fine when I was pregnant but now is a bit tight. And I've sort of – I had these earrings on too. I had to take them off because of the sound. But I oh, looked yeah. like um, – I was like a 2000s waitress that was actually wanted to get out of this job and she had an arts career. Like, don't you think? <laughs> it's looking good. You look great. Oh, I love the little tie on the blouse. Yeah, I just did that because it, it goes over my fat better. <laughs> I, think it's, I think you're looking fantastic. Thank you, mate. I'm a feminist, but Penelope Featherington in Bridgerton. <laughs> That is, in fact, my friend Nicola Coughlin, but she is, she's got a very high bustage in it. You know, when they heave up the bustage. And she's also got in it a sort of mover and shaker energy about her. I find her the hottest woman in the show. Um, Is it the high tits? Just generally, again, it's an energy with people, isn't it? She's got a slightly ne'er do well slash righteous indignation energy about her and brilliant breasts. And I can't go past that. I'm a feminist bug. Mm-hmm. I spend a lot of time on TikTok watching children and their makeup tutorials. <gasps> Do you? Yeah. 
There's a lot of very good makeup tutorials on there. And there's one girl in particular, her name's Michaela, and she's from Massachusetts, and she's got the wildest, most incredible Massachusetts accent. And she has like very porcelain skin and stuff like that. And then she goes, how you going? What's popping? I'm like, I <laughs> fucking love you. Yes. Grace Petrie, do you have any I'm a Feminist butts for us? You don't have to, but just if you want to chip them in. No, I don't think so. I know they take me so long to write because I'm such a good feminist. You're so whenever not. I need any, <laughs> you also always whenever so I need I, that, I honestly they take me about six months uh, per per one to wow, write. Really I think I, it, maybe this counts. I don't know. I'm a feminist, but um, my girlfriend is stuck in my house for lockdown. And when we realized that was going to be the case and she couldn't leave for a month, I said, I'm not sad. <laughs> and I think maybe that just makes me a bit of a weirdo. Uh, but um, no, it's good. I mean, well, last time I had, uh, I had uh, Folky Ben, but he's, he's flown the nest. I imagine it's a little bit more, f- like, as fun as Folky Ben is, and the Folky Ben is fun. I imagine it's more fun to be mm. there with your girlfriend. It is. It really is. Yeah. Folky Ben... Or fucky girlfriend. <laughs> no, okay. Thank you. No, okay. Thank you. Oh, I'm a feminist, but I'm happy my fucky girlfriend is trapped here Yay. for a month. I can hear the guilty feminist theme tune coming in there. I know where oh, Tom's going to yeah. edit that now. <laughs> From a variety of kitchens and bedrooms via Zoom, the Spontaneity Shop presents the Guilty Feminist. With me, Deborah Francis White, guest co-host Felicity Ward, and our very special guests, Francis Lumbrick, Mary Minton, Justin Taylor, and Claude Lee Santos, talking about defending the environment. Woo! Environment defenders all. This is the Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists, our hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. I'm Deborah Francis White. With me is Felicity Ward, and we're talking about environmental defenders. Woo! Woo! Hello, Felicity Ward, co-pilot O-Mine. Hi, Hello. Hello. How are you, lovely? Oh, it's so lovely to see you. Now, I hear tell online that you have got COVID-19. I have the Rona. I have the Rona. My lord. I'm on day nine, I think. Do you know how you Um, got it? Yes, I do. I got it from my son's nursery, uh, of which are staying open in the hard lockdown. So that seems unusual. We've basically been living a hard lockdown since March. Uh, We have vulnerable family members. So we have seen in the entire year in the UK, we have been to three people's houses back in September, three different people's houses, one of them family. On my 40th birthday, I went to an outdoor cafe. We wore masks and freaked out the whole time. So it's been very upsetting that our nursery closed a week early I think they said one of the boys has got it and is in your son's class so he has to isolate then we found out some of the staff had it and then we found out other kids had it and other parents so we got tested before Christmas got a negative test had Christmas and two days after Christmas I was like oh I feel really fluy but because I'd had the test I'm like it's not COVID though it's just a cold it's winter, my body's weak, I'm weak. And then my husband's back went and leg went and he's been in spasm all week and no painkillers have worked. So I have been looking after my husband and my baby while my husband has been like sleeping on the floor. He's in so much pain. Oh, my God. And um, he was going to get an MRI scan and thought, 
just to be on the safe side, I'll go and get a COVID test. And I was like, I would love to get out of the house. So <laughs> we, um, we did a drive-through. Uh, it's like Macca's where you put things up your nose instead of just in your mouth. And the next day we got it that we were positive. So uh, wow. we've all just, um, we've had a week from hell, Deb, and how delightful it is to be here. It's a hard luck life for It flick. is. It's a hard luck mm. life for me. And now my knee's popping. Sorry, my. I've just got a, oh, you can't hear that, listeners, but it, it wasn't very good. I hear you. Grace Petrie, you're in lockdown in Leicester. Hello. I'm in lockdown. That's all we ever do in Leicester. We barely come out of lockdown you, in Leicester. Yeah, you I really know. don't come out. How are your figures? We're old hat. We're old hat at it. Our figures are pretty bad up here Even in the Midlands. Even though you've been locked but, down the whole time. What is that? Well, not the whole time because I don't know if you heard about this, Deb, but we it was it was all right over Christmas. Oh, yeah. it, everything was cancelled on Christmas Day because <sighs> the coronavirus is a Christian. Even now you can still go to communal worship. Did you know that? Even I in know the that there are support announced. groups that can meet up to 15 people and um, one of them I'm involved with and I'm just like, I'm not going, guys. No. I'm not. Mm. I mean, I can now. I have COVID. Mm, yeah. So I'm, I've got yeah. antibodies for no, a couple of months. No, maybe don't, though. <laughs> no, fuck no, Not it. while you've got it. Yeah. But yeah, please, oh, I'm going to yeah. give it to them. They deserve it. Until <laughs> I'm vaccinated <laughs> now, I think I'm just, I'm just locking down until I'm vaccinated because the strain on the NHS is so appalling. Yeah. That we can't afford it. We just can't afford it. So anyone who can stay mm. home has to stay home, and that's muggins. That's me, mate. And many, many that's more mugginses. Mm. And I am a lucky one that can stay home, frankly. There's yeah. People that yeah, well, my sister uh, had it just before Christmas, and um, she, her child brought her home from school. She's a teacher. You know, I think the, the teachers have just – you can cut this out if you want, but I think it's crazy, and I think – Crazy. A scandal, a scandal that uh, that they're not even even now they're not talking about making teachers and school staff one of the first groups to be vaccinated. I just think these they've it's, been used as basically cannon fodder. It's a scandal. What I'm learning here is don't have a child. I'm learning that really. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a good lesson. Because we've that is not a had good COVID lesson. in this flat, but nor have we had a small person in and out and all about. Mm. And it's hard. It's hard with children. I absolutely see it. I see the strain on families as well, having to have children, you know, the whole, because when you mm. have a child, the deal is the state will take it for most of its life. Mm. And the state has yeah, just... look, we've decided it was a mistake, um, but he won't go back in. <laughs> uh, well, it doesn't fit anymore. His head gro has grown. Yeah, It's grown anything. too much. Mm. It's yeah. grown too much. My I belly mean, has grown. It looks like there's probably room for him, but the door has very much shrunk. You've pulled up the drawbridge like Brexit. That's right. I mean, yeah. most newborn babies are about the size of a loaf of bread. And getting that out of a hole the size of a tampon, I imagine, is a challenge. Yeah, and it's it's firm bread too. It's old bread. It's bonier <laughs> bread than, than the yeah, it's a it's a sourdough. It's, it's a ciabatta crust. <laughs> it's cr crouton, crouton consistency, yeah. I think. It's tough on the soft palate. We'll say that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't feel my <laughs> vaginal region was made for a focaccia departure. <laughs> wow. Despite the presence wow. of yeast. No, there no. it is. Listen, the lockdown's there done wonders for my rhyming. Yeah. I'll, I'll be that was wonderful. I wanna, can we partner on a musical called Focaccia Departure? Yeah. <laughs> you say focaccia and I, you, and I say focaccia. Let's call the whole thing the off. The whole thing off. There it is. Uh, this is writing itself. <laughs> 
I don't I don't think there's much more work to do. Really. This is the most creative outlet I've had yeah. in weeks. I'm, I'm not saying it's the lockdown, but are we geniuses? <laughs> it's like being high being in lockdown, isn't it? Where you think everything you come up with is amazing and should be a musical, and then the next day you go, hmm. It yeah. was no, no, none of the that next was day, the next year, once yeah. you've pitched it to everyone and they're like, God, stay away from Felicity. She got some <laughs> stinky ideas. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I am part of a WhatsApp group that you're part of too, Flick, um, yes. that was called, at the end of last year, was called Roll On 2021. I yeah. renamed it today to Roll On 2022. Yeah. Because 2021 doesn't seem to be offering any of the goods that it promised us, which is a complete relief from the horror of 2020. Almost worst. It's almost worse. The week of my husband being in such agonizing pain that he couldn't sit down or stand up or lie down for really any more than 20 minutes for a couple of days, mm. that was very hard to watch him. But then also look after him and a baby mm. was also very tricky with COVID. It's easy to be at first sympathetic to such an injury and then after a while just annoyed like why are you not better i am trying to mind a baby here and now i've got yes. covid get up and look after me stop yeah. being in pain did you find yeah. him irritating look my husband and i have long had chats where he is very enthusiastic about telling me what is going on for him physically at all times just in case it's something and i am very much of the opposite where i'm like I think I need to go to hospital. I Like when my water broke, I was like, oh, I should probably wake Chris up. But then you thought, oh, am I being a nuisance? Well, it's just like, well, I don't, I'm not in labour, so do I just go back to sleep? What do I do? I woke him up. But, yeah, Chris is very much the opposite of that. And so we've had a couple of timeouts where I've said, honey, I'm at capacity of hearing about your body at the moment. Um, and that is the most loving way I could say that. I should also say he's usually incredible, like does 90% of all the cooking and 60% of all the cleaning. I'm a very bad wife is what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm a terrible wife, but I feel I'm a very good partner. I'm a good life partner, but I have no wife skills at all and I'm not sure. interested in developing them. I'm yeah. sure that must be disappointing for Tom Selinski, but he knew what he was getting into when he married me. Actually, he didn't because I could pretend that I could cook. Um, oh, did you? And you can't cook? No. Oh, Deb, I love that for you. There was a deli near me where you could go down and buy a pre-prepared stir-fry or pie in a ceramic dish uh, so it looked like you'd cooked it. So he oh. thought not only is she a brilliant cook, but everything's cleaned up as she goes and she just pulls this pie out of the oven. What a magician. She pulls out this amazing dish and it was all a heat-up situation. Now, obviously, <laughs> that was too expensive to continue, but it did the trick of luring him in my God, this is such an I'm a feminist part. I'm so ashamed and embarrassed. It was a different time in my life. I just didn't want to say I can't cook. I thought it was a bit lazy. I did cook well, maybe it is. for nanny children, but it was all like fish fingers and stuff. And, you know, that's not real. He's a better cook. Let him do it, I say. He loves it. Yeah. Um, although tonight we have ordered Nando's because I'm very hungry. On a scale of lemon to herb to extra hot, how hungry are you? I'm extra hot hungry, but I've ordered yeah. lemon and herb because I'm Yeah, that's a, because you're a pussy. <laughs> uh, you're a feminist, but you've used the word pussy. I think, look, I usually don't get forget, lemon and herb. Don't I love lemon and herb. A pussy is something that can take a jabata departure. 
I can't take a chipotle. I can't take chili though. And I found that out the hard way when I used a chili body wash. Ooh. And then I had to have a memorial for my vagina. A chili body wash. That sounds, yeah. That sounds like, like, you know like those, a bad idea though, right? You know those mint ones, those fresh mint ones that are like, mm-hmm. this uses 600 mint leaves. And you're like, yeah, and that burns a little bit, but it's kind of nice burn. And then there was another one that was like orange and chili. I'm like, well, it's not going to be burning because it goes in your, wow. your around your bits. Turns out yeah. it was a spicy little number. Mm. 60 shades of body wash. Yeah, it was a ghost pepper. I don't know why it was 60 shades, not 50 shades. I just felt I needed to up the ante. (laughs) Hello, Guilty Feminists. This is Deborah. We're all stuck inside, but we're doing what we can to bring you as much Guilty Feminist goodness as possible. On Wednesday, the 27th of January, you can sign up to watch us record an episode of the podcast live at King's Place in London. There'll be no live audience because of lockdown, but we will be there and it will all be safely done. We can read out your comments and questions and you can get to see us as well as hear us and see all the things we cut out of the final edit. And if you can't make 7.30pm UK time, you've got a whole 72 hours in which to watch the recording. To get your tickets, go to kingsplace.co.uk or see the link on our website. I'm also doing another series of Skills Booster webinars. We got such great feedback from these at the end of last year, but some people said the afternoon time wasn't great for them. So I'm doing the same three topics, but at 8.30pm in the evening. So you could join me after you've got home from work or put the kids to bed or walk the dog. And if you watched last time, do feel free to watch again. The topics are the same, but I always think of new things to say and new ways to say them. And people always ask different questions. We're starting Wednesday, 17th of Feb with Include Yourself and Include Others. And you can get tickets by going to guiltyfeminist.com or by clicking the link in the show notes. And also Refugee Community Kitchen are still looking for more volunteers. So if you're in any way able to look into that with a view to volunteering, they would appreciate it so much. Lastly, thank you so much to everyone who has signed up to support us on Patreon. We really couldn't keep the podcast going without your support. No exaggeration. We're doing regular monthly Zoom hangouts where you can ask me questions, hear what's going on in my life. And for the next one, Monday, 25th of January, we're doing a Burns Night poetry special with some surprise guests. It'll be feminist poetry, not Burns poetry. Let's be incredibly honest. So to be a part of that, and lots of jokes and lols and chat. So to be part of that, go now to patreon.com slash guiltyfeminist and sign up. We've also just released some warm-up material from the North American tour exclusive to Patreon, so there's lots of goodies waiting for you. I know the pandemic has hit a lot of people very hard, but if you're not already contributing and it's possible for you to show your support, then every penny really does count. And if you can't help us financially, why not spread the word? We love it when you listeners find the podcast, so if you could write about it, tweet about it, make an Instagram story with a little recording, or just tell someone you know about it, that would be a great help. Thanks to everyone who's listening to this. Guilty Feminist listeners are the best in the world. And we do love you all. And now back to the podcast. Our first guest today is the co-founder of Not One More. She oversees Not One More's internal work and coordinates with the Cambodia team, which consists of five youth environmental activists. Currently, she is working closely with the team in Cambodia as 15 young activists have been arrested for taking part in peaceful protests. Please welcome Frances Lambrick. She is joined by Mary Menton, who is a research fellow at University of Sussex. 
and is working closely with Not One More and Indigenous Peoples and Environmental Defenders in Brazil. Mary leads the British Academy-funded Atmospheres of Violence Research Project, which works to understand the experiences of defenders globally. Hello, Mary! And we also have Justine Taylor, who joined Not One More to support research into the increasing violence by police against environmental defenders in the UK. Hello, Justine! Woo, Justine! So, Fran, you are currently working with the Cambodian team. 15 young activists have been arrested for taking part in peaceful protests. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so it started in at the end of July because um, a union leader and he was also speaking out about land rights and sort of raising awareness of issues of land in the border area between Cambodia and Vietnam um, called Rong Chun. He was arrested and he was you know, quite an icon, a very popular figure in Cambodia. And this sparked protests among many young Cambodian activists, environmental activists, and also human rights and social justice activists. And this was the beginning of kind of a space of arrests. And also Cambodia has been increasingly authoritarian in recent years. And since the COVID pandemic, there's also been a real ramping up of authoritarianism with three journalists arrested and in jail this year, uh, one of whom was writing about land issues. So yeah, so we've been trying to help coordinate the emergency response for those in jail. And we've also, like our team have also been relocated within Cambodia uh, for a while because they were very highly at risk because it was sort of their friends and colleagues who were being arrested on the streets. And often, yeah, two of my colleagues are there with their cameras sort of filming what's happening. And some of them have had individual threats as well. So so we've been kind of in the middle of it. And what does Not One More do when that kind of thing happens? Like, what, what's the, can you give us the big old thrust of Not One More? Give us a thrust. Come on, Fran. <laughs> Start it off with us. We, we want a thrust. We love a thrust here at The Guilty Feminist. Thrust I'm a feminist, but I do enjoy a thrust. Love a thrust. <laughs> Top line, what does not one more do? If we wanted to get in on this thrust, what would we be what would we be getting in ourselves into? So the thrust of not one more is that we listen to defenders and we try to be responsive because it's a huge variety of threats and situations and basically what we do is we are there and we try to help in any way that we can, that we know about or like predominantly we just do what defenders are saying we can do to help. Like for example, that might be access to emergency funding. And this year, especially because we haven't been able to be, you know, in Cambodia or in Brazil in person, we've been doing a lot of just helping people write applications um, and then helping sometimes to funnel the money um, to them. And that might be to help people relocate or to help them, for example, get security cameras on their home or to get some training in digital security And then also, yeah, part of it that's really, really important is raising visibility and international solidarity. And so when we first started Not One More, we were kind of, you know, we had this intention to do something to make a difference. So Not One More came together because basically I met two of our colleagues, Jen and Bex, and we had all had experiences of working with people at risk. And I had been working in Cambodia Um, actually as a PhD researcher working in forestry. And as I was doing that research work, I got to know a group of environmental activists who were all living around a forest called Prelong in central Cambodia. And one of the activists who was involved in organising the campaign against deforestation was a guy called Chivriti. 
And the day I met him, he was attacked at gunpoint and I was kind of filming it and didn't know what to do. And I sort of jumped out of the way. And at the same time, a lot of the community members who were there, like initially just two or three people and then a whole rush went forward and grabbed him and pulled him out from in front of the guns, completely unarmed. And then, yeah, we got to know him and was interviewing him for the film. And then a few months later, after I got back to the UK, I got the news that he had been killed in another part of Cambodia. And so after about two years, I went back and I finished the film. And then... I was feeling kind of exhausted and I actually met Justine at a Reclaim the Power festival and I was just thinking like this really has to be more than a film and this has to be a campaign or something has to be done that's going to make a difference. And Justine was like, yeah, man, like basically like, yes, you have to do this. Of course she said, yeah, man. What other response could there that, be? That <laughs> is talk. Yeah. <laughs> and then meeting Becca and Jin, um, they had had really similar experiences. Like Bex works in Guinea-Bissau and she's been working with people who do undercover investigations and had to leave the country into exile for periods of time because they had been facing death threats. And so we started with basically just the intention to do something, but we had to really learn what needed to be done. And so one of the first things that we organized was a conference, and that brought together a number of really, really amazing people. And also international NGOs and like one of the UN special rapporteurs and some funders and some security specialists. And We had this idea like of basically learning what was needed, but also what support was out there. Yes, so you're not stepping on people's toes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and finding out like what can be done and what advocacy avenues are available, what funding is available. And what we all really noticed and began to understand is that there is actually quite a lot of support out there, but it's really not accessible to people who are frontline. And even things like, Yeah, even like the term environmental defenders might be, you know, being applied to them, but they wouldn't necessarily describe themselves that way. And then there's a step beyond that is like knowing that there's an emergency funding group out there who will fund defenders and, you know, like I could apply to them. It's But then you have to apply in English often or... Right. So there's barriers at every turn Mm -hmm. that you don't know. So basically you are learning where the holes are. Not you are learning, but you have learnt where the holes are and tried to figure out how to support those bits. Yeah, And then learning on the job as well. I mean, it sounds like a film. It sounds like even the use of the word defender makes it sound like an action hero. Um, (laughs) But it's so comprehensively fucked. That's Mm. what it sounds like, that there is so much support that is needed And that you're all in very precarious, dangerous situations, even helping people who are in more dangerous, precarious situations. Well, that's what I wanted to ask. Is it dangerous? Like, if you want to go out and volunteer, I mean, when it's safe to travel again, some of our listeners, I'm sure, will want to go and volunteer. Bless and love each and every one of them. And some (laughs) people have more, you know, opportunity and mobility to do that and will want to do it. How dangerous is it? Um... It's a good question. And, you know, <laughs> That's a long pause for <laughs> it can be dangerous, but it's not. It, I think part of the thing that I've learned is about 
understanding and assessing risk and also being able to kind of clock my own fear and being able to discern when that fear is based on a real threat and like this fear is like alerting me to something I definitely shouldn't do um, versus when it's like just the fear of the unknown, if you see what I mean. So I think there's no need to... <laughs> you don't need to pack it yeah, there's no need to launch into something without knowing the risks. And I think for many of us, it sort of goes step by step. And I re- Have you ever felt unsafe, Fran? Have you ever felt like, oh my God, I could be hurt or die here? Yes. At the moment when Vuti was attacked and I was right next to him and I looked up and I saw like an AK-47 pointed at us, I was like, oh, I could die. And at that moment, I stepped backwards and sort of tried to get back towards the crowd And at the same time, these two, three community members, like members of this activist group, went forward and they Mm. were just wearing like cotton. And just the physical contrast of like this armed, burly soldier pointing this gun and those guys like with nothing, Mm -hmm. just going in the opposite direction to the, you know, Mm. the opposite direction. I wasn't even thinking, I was just moving out of the way of... Mm the line Instinct, of the bullet yeah, yeah. and I, I remember afterwards um talking to those guys like as we were walking back and one of them was like oh but you were the closest to him you know because I was sitting next to Viti before the soldiers came and grabbed him and threw him to the ground and they were like why didn't you go in and save him and I was kind of like oh <laughs> like mm. oh um, god <laughs> but also like yeah. that is the that is the level of courage that some people are at and Mm. like you know yeah I I was just sort of absolutely amazed and at the same time I think well why is anyone else's life less valuable than mine like just because I was born in a less dangerous part of the world they're trying to save the earth they're not trying to save a local thing without the rainforest in Brazil the earth will die so why their lives you know, somehow more disposable than mine just because I'm luxuriously further away from that. And I have to ask myself all those questions in terms mm-hmm. of morality. And also I understand, you know, human beings have got a great survival instinct and that's why we are such a successful species. Too successful, some may say, given what we're doing to the world. But we are we have got a big survival instinct. And of course, if you're you see a gun point in your face, you want to pull back. You don't want to jump in front. And so some people clearly have that ability to go forward where I, Fran, make no mistake would have been with you pulling, but I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure. Um, yeah. There are situations in which I would go forward where I, I, if I say in this country, I know there are situations in which I have gone forward because I recognise that my whiteness and my femaleness probably means that I am less likely to be criminalised or brutalised. Mm. Um, so there are situations, but that one... I fuck no, I but I doubt it. I really do. you don't know what you do till that minute, yeah. but yeah, I doubt it. And I don't know what I would do another time if it happened again. Mm. Like now, you might because you've had that experience yeah. beyond. You might think, fight the instinct, fight the instinct, push forward. <laughs> and I hope I would, but I think my first instinct yeah, definitely would. I be don't yours. know if I would, but I remember having this conversation with Mala about this because I kind of noticed in myself, like initially, I was just going into this, not really thinking about the risk, particularly. Like I didn't know there were going to be soldiers there that day. I was just at a protest and meeting people and filming, and and then I noticed that yeah, like there's been some other times when I've been 
filming like on land that's been stolen by a company and there's been soldiers kind of confronting us and definitely my fear is less and my anger is much more Mm -hmm. and I remember talking to one of our colleagues about this um San Malar who's an incredibly brave environmental defender who we work with and a youth activist and he was in jail in 2015 and 2016 and I actually I was making films about him and calling for the release of these three environmental activists who were in jail um, before I met him and I met him and and talked to him about his experiences like after he was released and and since yeah for the last couple of years we've been working together very closely but I remember asking him if he felt the same way that like every time it's like every time you take a step forward it's like the fear looks much smaller it's like the opposite of perspective or something and he said yeah it's like that and he said you know before I went to jail the first time it was like I was standing on the edge of a cliff and looking down and I had that sick feeling of fear of like something that's about to happen and he said but now it's different because now it's like I'm at the top of the cliff looking down but I know that at the bottom of the cliff it's water and I've been in the water and I've swum. Mm-hmm. And so he was just like, yeah, I don't feel that fear anymore. I do feel listening to this that other people are much better than I am. Oh, awesome. <laughs> I figured that extremely out. Extremely fundamental ways. Bloody hell. I mean. Yeah. I mean, I can't even stand <laughs> at the top of a cliff, Deb. No, I mean, it's. it's, it's <laughs> Metaphorical or, or real. It's, it's, it's limited. But I also think, <laughs> I think there is something in the more times you do it and the more. you know, this is sort of a very pathetic example, but the first lockdown, I was like, what's this going to be? And this one, I'm like, oh, that again. And I've got my strategies in place. And that's obviously pathetic parallel to going to jail in a Funnily enough, this is the one that I really snapped at. This is the Mm. one that I really went bonkers at when they, (laughs) they, um, I think it was in December, when they took the lockdown off. And I went, oh, this is going to go for another year. We're Mm. just going to keep doing the same Mm -hmm, thing mm -hmm. over and over again. For another year. This is, I really, because up until then I was very, not objective because I'm living in it, but I was able to just be sort of distant and angry about it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where that one I did not. So what I'm saying is I can't do anything. <laughs> Life gets harder and harder for me is my metaphor. Yeah, it's, uh, but I think it is right, though, that we are adaptable and the more times you put yourself in a dangerous situation. I remember the first time I was in a refugee camp and, you know, seeing the police come or whatever, it's scary. But after a while you go, whatever you can predict will happen, this is my theory, is in places where you cannot predict what will happen, you get very frightened. The more you're in that place, the more you can predict mm. what will happen, even if that thing will be scary the more mm. normal it becomes to you and the more you can adapt to it. Um, I had Mary, to hold a snake once for a TV show. Now, at the beginning, I, when I was speaking to them, they're like, will you hold a snake? I was like, yeah, I'll hold a snake. I'm from Australia. I can hold a snake. And then I turned up at the TV studio and went, I've got to hold a fucking snake. Who do you think you are, Felicity? You're not a wrangler? You have no skills with reptiles? No skills. And so they sat down and they put this python around me no. called Monty. Hilarious. No um, And I was very scared and then I had to sit with it for about an hour and over t- like that time I was like, no, I just have a great respect for you as an animal. It did get less scary. I would cancel literally any television show if they said there's a snake involved, even in the studio. I'd just be like, I'm sorry, Graham Norton. I really want to do your show for obvious reasons, and yet I'm unavailable suddenly. What about a trouser snake? 
I've, 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 I know how to deal with those. I can predict what they'll do. <laughs> Mary, go up and down. Medicine. Grace, why are you looking like that? Uh, I'm having some bad times with my, my internet, so I'm only getting about 50% of what anyone's saying. It looked like um, you didn't know what a trouser snake uh, was. <laughs> trouser was the word I missed, and I was trying to work out what the word um, I missed was. Trouser snake. <laughs> but, but here am I. What the yeah. fool am I? Because I definitely should have presumed, of course, it was trouser snake. It's me, Grace. A feminist but. I was on a call with Tom Selinski today where someone talked about OnlyFans and he said, I don't know what that is. And everyone laughed and went, oh, yeah, and you've never heard of Pornhub either. And he was like not laughing. And I thought, oh, there's a lapse in sense of humour. And it turned out he really did not know what OnlyFans was. <laughs> and when he found out, he roared with laughter. <laughs> um, he's too pure. Tom Selinski is too pure for this world. <laughs> he's too pure for this world. He's on, he's on mm. Doctor Who sites. Um, Mary <laughs> Menton. I mean, some really racy fanfic Doctor Who sites, I'm sure. Um, Mary Menton, could you please tell us a little bit about your work? Yeah, sure. Um, so a lot of what I do, I mean, part of what I do, I think I have two hats and, and that was a question coming on, which hat should I wear? Because I am an academic, but I'm also an activist. And so half of my time I'm, you know, again, helping defenders with funding applications to build a wall around their houses so they're safer or to be removed from an area to keep alive when they're on a hit list and, and all those sorts of things. But so you could literally be out there building a wall? Well, I don't build the walls, but I learned a lot about uh, what you need to build a wall. <laughs> do you commission wall building? Like, do you sort of go, look, you've got to do it this way, otherwise they're going to get in? <laughs> I'm not quite there yet. I'm working on my wall skills. Okay, fine. Um, and then the other part of what I do is the research part of it is looking at the statistics about the number of killings of environmental defenders. So like, for example, Global Witness is uh, an NGO that has started doing a database of or rec recording the killings of environmental defenders globally. And over the last few years, they found more or less approximately uh, four defenders are killed every week. And we know that that's an underestimate because it only includes the ones that make it to the news, that make it to the recording, you know, the NGOs that find out about it or the or countries where there isn't freedom of press. We really don't know how many people are being killed. So we know that those numbers are are underestimates. So one of the things that we're doing with the research is really trying to understand what's going on beyond that. We call it the murders of the tip of the iceberg. You know, that's what we see. That's what gets attention but for every person who's killed you know about nine or ten might have an attack or a sexual assault another 20 or so might get criminalized or arrested and we know that hundreds hundreds of people are being threatened are being having smear campaigns against them experiencing hate speech experiencing all sorts of other kind of forms of repression so what we're doing with the research is trying to really get to understand beyond those numbers, because we know that the numbers are, are hiding the full story. They're hiding the full complexity of the experiences that defenders are suffering. And what is it that they need? And how can we change the situation? How can we understand who the perpetrators of the crimes are? And how do we stand in between those perpetrators and the defenders. It's not just about building a wall and it's not just about putting up a security camera or doing a digital security camera or digital, 
you know, cell phone, mobile phone technology, et cetera. It's about more than that. And it's about the traumas that a lot of them are carrying and the mental health issues and the tendency that a lot of the defenders that we meet have, and I would have to say particularly the women, of just keep going, keep going, and don't take the time to protect themselves and to think about self-care and think about taking the time off to make sure that they're okay too. And so much time fighting to defend their communities, their families, their forests, their waters, their air, etc. But they forget about themselves. And so what yeah, what I think for me as, you know, partially as an academic and partially as an activist, what's come really to the forefront over the last year or so is that issue of, of self-care and mental health and that we need to, we as not one more, so my other hat, <laughs> are, are really trying to, to step up into that space of thinking about people as whole people and their needs as, in terms of well-being and not just about fences and walls and security cameras, but about keep taking care of the person as well. And is that included in your British Academy-funded Atmospheres of Violence research project? Yeah, so that project is, we have been working for the last two years in six countries, Brazil and Cambodia, Guinea-Bissau, DRC, sorry, Bangladesh and Ecuador. So those six are the countries that we've been looking at and, and interviewing environmental defenders in each of those countries to understand their experiences of violence and not just thinking about not just murders, but thinking about violence from various different perspectives, thinking about violence where people have been removed from their lands to build a protected area. You know, that is violence as well. You're removing, forcibly removing someone in order to protect elephants. Well, what about the rights of that person who's being forcibly removed? And that is a form of violence. So understanding violence is a multidimensional, intersectional phenomenon. So... That's kind of what we've been doing is understanding not just the murders, but going digging deeper and understanding more about what's going on. Because the murders are the worst case scenario. They're when things get to the point where somebody dies. Um, but what happens before then? It's very important work you're doing. Um, and I can't imagine how complicated. Want truly hydrated skin? Medocia's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Justine, um, I want to bring you in now. You are, you've joined Not One More to support research into the increasing violence by police against environmental defenders here in the UK. Can you tell us about that? Um, yeah. Oh, wow. I'm so nervous. I hope you edit out those words. Um, yeah. So <laughs> Don't be nervous here. It's so chill. And also, if you say anything you regret, we just take it out. <laughs> Great. Thank you. 
You might be surprised to know I have asked to have some things taken out before. So the things yeah. that you've heard, I thought were fine. <laughs> I've actually, uh, we take them out, then we give them to Grace and she makes them into a disco track. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, she puts them on a loop on repeat with a sick beat underneath. Right. You've described so many things I'm incapable of there. You have no idea. <laughs> this how did you get them all in one sentence? Um, so Justine, I wouldn't have thought the UK would have needed an arm of not one more. Can you tell us more about that? So when I met Fran, like way a couple of years ago, I was already involved in kind of frontline stuff a bit, but like not like in Brazil, but I was part of Grow Heathrow, which is a community that is fighting the expansion of Heathrow Airport. And what I didn't know at the time, but I know now is that like that was an immensely privileged kind of position to be in because as a well-known little group, we were quite protected from like the... I don't know, strong arm of the law or whatever. And then France like had this realization that what was happening in the UK was kind of also really serious because some protectors also defenders in the UK kind of self-identify as protectors a lot. And so it's quite hard to know what word to use because they also are referred to as protesters, because if you call them an activist, then that criminalizes them because the police use activism as a form of like terrorism, which doesn't really make much sense. What? Um, so yeah. You're uh, criminalized if you're an activist. Yeah. Dude. So so a really cool group called Met Hall <laughs> published some of the police training materials a couple of years ago where there's like this triangle and at the bottom of the triangle is like protesters, people who'll turn up with a placard and then it kinda goes up the triangle until you have like terrorists at the top and just below terrorists is like activists, animal rights activists, fracking activists. And so these people who are acting out of conviction that they want to protect the planet are being persecuted and I think like maybe around 30 people have been referred to prevent which is the police's anti-terrorism program um to this prevent rehabilitation service or something so so people no. are being like criminalized in a really serious way what? and um and it's led to like massive surveillance problems and like it's really hard to touch upon all of the findings from our research because whilst we kind of set about triggered by meeting people at a conference that not more had set up who came to the conference to kind of talk a little bit about their experiences in the UK. And we, after we'd fundraised, like really went in to get to the bottom of what's at the crux of these anecdotes, what's actually going on, can we get some numbers? We were so shocked by the diversity of different kinds of things that are happening here. Oh, I said shocked. It's a really expressive, emotive word. <laughs> I mean, uh, the, but- the thing is, I, I kind of know in some ways, because I've seen responses to you know, people protesting with Extinction Rebellion and things like that. So it's not like I'm, but I, I still am shocked that activists are being a, a one step away from terrorists because I would call myself an activist. And not now, I wouldn't I'd call myself a protester now. Very I'd much a protester. Yeah. Um, I've just but, got a placard. Yeah. I mean, this is me stepping back, Fran. This is me taking a big step back. No, I don't want to. I'm going to step forward and say I'm an activist and I want to change things. I don't want to just protest about things. I want to change things. And I think that's the difference between a protester and an activist. But I do find that quite shocking. I mean, I shouldn't because Pretty Patel is the Home Secretary. <laughs> I mean, this started before that. Why am I shocked? I don't know. Um, so what are you watching for here? What are you concerned about the UK government doing? What are they already doing that we should be protesting? Or, or mean, activating. Or, acti- <laughs> or activating against. Activizing. And writing to our MPs about. Or, and 
What are you worried about? What's the slippery slope? So when we started our research, I think a lot of it, whilst we were aware of this terrorist issue, we were more concerned about documenting the violence because at the moment there isn't this really good record that shows like how much violence there is. And when we talked to other organisations about getting involved, they said, well, you know, this isn't recorded properly because, you know, well, when we, and even when we started going to record it, we kind of asked protesters, you know, what did you experience? How often did you experience violence? And that now seems really naive because we worked with the protesters to develop our questionnaire and they kind of said, well, you know, at the height of the violence at Preston New Road, which is a protest that went from 2017 until 2019, there were 20 beatings a day that we're aware of. And how can you document 20 beatings a day when you're the person being beaten? And then what some organisations wanted us to do was find the police complaints for all of these beatings, but protesters don't complain to the police. And they argued kind of anecdotally to us, well, you know, because protesting to the police is ineffective. But then really recently, like just in at the end of 2020, a report came out that said that only 7% of like complaints from protesters that went to the police were taken like further by the police. And that's like what happened to the other 93% of complaints. And in our own research, one of our research questions was, did you complain about this incident against yourself? And I did like a quick count of how many people complained to the police and only 30 people complained. And out of all of those complaints, not a single one was taken seriously by the police. And we interrogated this data and we would ask people like, well, what did you submit to the police? And they would be submitting news reports, their own footage, testimonies, witness statements, things from legal observers. And even then, these complaints weren't taken forward. Because you're asking, could I complain about you to you? Yeah. I'm going to report you to you. Yeah, I've looked at the evidence and I don't think I did anything wrong. Okay, I I, and that's the I end of I think I did a pretty good job, actually. I think, yeah. I, would have gone, I think I would have gone harder next time. I mean, unbelievable. We have a, an anecdote that I think I'll say it like really broadly because I don't want to get the person who submitted, like told us about this in trouble, but basically like she complained to the police because the police had broken her collarbone and when oh, when she got her complaint back, the police said that she'd been assaulted by the chair that she was sat on. So, you know... The like, chair? Really? The <laughs> chair she was sat on? The police, yeah. said, the police said the chair Jesus just Christ. broke. And that was yeah. why she fell off the chair and broke her collarbone. That's like a 70s, 80s arrogance. You know, you know, like the racial violence and how blatant it used to be. Mm. It still is, obviously. But in the 70s and 80s, cops were just like, I can just beat you because you're black and nothing's going to happen. Saying the chair beat you up mm-hmm. is like the level of arrogance that requires to be able to and, put that in writing. And Black Lives Matter has demonstrated to us that while the optics may have changed, the reality yeah. hasn't for black people. And I think that uh, this is something we really do need to be completely alert to and on guard to and let them know we're watching and we're seeing it because the more that we look away, the more that they can take more permission and more permission and more permission. Mm. Now, Mary, you also speak Portuguese. Were you raised speaking Portuguese or did you learn it? I learned it in Brazil, in the forest. In the forest. And <laughs> and you are good enough that you can interpret to talk about uh, politics. I don't know how you've managed to do that, but it's incredibly impressive. So we're now going to ask you uh, to do some interpreting for us. And okay. then I say uh, our next guest is, and I've already said that. So just okay, like, the first one is just a link. 
Because now you we say know seashells, she sells by the seashore. <laughs> See, I can't even say it in English. If you could, I know. I know. Um, How many languages do you speak, Mary? Three. Lazy. What's the third one? <laughs> Spanish. It's, just, it's, it's almost the same. It is not, and that's a dirty lie. Portuguese. <laughs> We're going to get complaints about that. Portuguese um, sounds like Portuguese a It's not the same. No, um, they're not the same. I'm sorry. You're okay. Right. So <laughs> I speak this much Spanish, and which I learned in South America. And then we ran into an Australian guy on the plane, and he started speaking Portuguese to a woman behind us. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? This is nothing like Spanish. I was like, oh, I'll probably get a few words here and there. No, I'm still angry about it. And that was two decades ago. It's a whole different language, Flick. You learnt one language conversationally and you were angry it wasn't a second language. I can't. No, no, but everyone's like, oh, Spanish and Portuguese are actually pretty similar. No, they are not. Je? What's it? Bomb? Those noises. <laughs> Bomb. It's, it's, look, Sorry. I'm, there's I'm, so I'm much kidding. to protest about. The fact that Spanish and Portuguese aren't the same language just feels very low down on our priorities in this I'm podcast. I'm trying to keep it light, Deborah. Okay. These, these women are fighting injustice. And like, while it is an injustice that all languages aren't the same, so you can like, speak. Um, it sounds a little bit colonial, doesn't it? It does. Why doesn't anyone little, speak the same as me? Why aren't all languages English? My God, woman, be more like a man. While I hear your frustration, <laughs> I don't feel it's top priority for change at the at same the time. I like that you're protesting it. I don't think you should become an activist about it. That's okay. what I'm saying. <laughs> okay. We're now joined by Claudelie Santos, a Brazilian forest defender and 2019 finalist for the EU Parliament's Sakharov Prize for Freedom of Thought. She leads on Not One More's holistic security work with communities in Paris State, one of the most dangerous places to be an environmental activist. Claudelie founded the Zay Claudio and Maria Foundation in memory of her brother and sister-in-law who were assassinated in 2011 as a result of their fight to protect forests and land rights in the Amazon. Now, Mary, you also speak Portuguese. Were you raised speaking Portuguese or did you learn it? I learned it in Brazil, in the forest. In the forest. And, <laughs> and you are good enough that you can interpret to talk about uh, politics. I don't know how you've managed to do that, but it's incredibly impressive. So we're now going to ask you uh, to do some interpreting for us. Hello, Claudelise. Everything you're doing sounds so extraordinarily impressive and has such a tragic dimension to it, you must really believe in your work. So Mary, could you please ask Claudelise to tell us about her experience as an environmental defender in this most dangerous part of the world? Okay. Claudelise, ela tá agora vai ser a tua vez e ela ela tá ela dizendo que seu trabalho parece ser extraordinário e tem uma dimensão trágico e, e queria saber um pouco de você qual é como é a experiência de ser uma uma defensora do meio ambiente no Brasil neste momento. Bom, primeiro dizer boa noite a todas. É, agradecer a oportunidade de estar aqui falando sobre assunto tão importante que toca nós mulheres, é, tanto no Brasil como no mundo, e dizer que é, é muito triste nós termos que 
is saying she'd like to thank you for allowing, you know, inviting her to participate in this moment, to have the chance to to speak, but also the sadness of having to speak about such difficult times and the tragedies that are happening for all of us. The work that I do is is a weight, and it's a weight and baggage that I carry, but not not just myself, but other people. Everybody who's active as a defender in Brazil at the moment is carrying a lot of weight of the history of the struggles of people like Sé Claudio and Maria, and it's gotten particularly bad under the government of Bolsonaro. Mm. We are fighting for for territory, and when I speak about territory, I'm talking not just about land territory, but also the territories of our bodies. And we are fighting, we are not fighting just for territories, we're also fighting for life, and we're also fighting for justice, and these struggles for justice become even more difficult for women, and especially for women who come from forested areas, women who don't have access to the normal channels of access to justice. I mean, where do you even start with this oh. kind of project? Because <laughs> that's everything. It's women, land, justice. That's everything. Yeah, it is everything. It is everything and, 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 and one of the biggest struggles that we have is to maintain ourselves within this struggle, to maintain ourselves sane, to maintain ourselves healthy and and. Mm to continue the struggle. Mm-hmm. Mm. What can we do to help you, Claudelise, because you are there on the front line. We are in other parts of the world listening to this podcast. What can we do to support you? Ainda bem que nós temos vários parceiros e a Not One More aqui no Reino Unido é a organização mais próxima da gente. We have a lot of partnerships and a lot of a lot of people who try to support us. Not one more is, is one of them in the UK, but what we need really now is to find support to create a physical space where people who are threatened and women who are threatened can go to find the find space to to learn new things to take care of themselves to take care of their mental health to have a, a, a retreat a refuge place where they can go and that's something that she is trying to find support for and would love love that help. how much money would that cost Right now, we don't have an actual number because we're in the middle of essentially doing a study of what it would take and how we could find access to alternative therapies and people to really be there to support them um, and to create a space. So we're in the midst of, of doing a study to see how much that would be. But I'm sure we can give you a, a vague ballpark number Um Soon. Do you need volunteers out there? I've heard before of Western people going and just forming a barrier around Indigenous uh, environmental defenders because while Westerners are there with phone cameras, it is more difficult for the state to be violent. Is that something you need or want or not? Sim, ajuda muito. E assim, não, não só com relação a fazer essa barreira, como também os trabalhos, como também orientar em diversos aspectos, como, por exemplo, 
Yeah, it does help. And, you know, people like us from Not One More have been helping to create links with the outside world and to help with education or access to funding. And those sorts of things are really important. So not just as a physical barrier, but also bringing knowledge and experience and access to different avenues for support is really important. And yes. So volunteering with Not One More or a similar organization can be a useful thing to do uh, when people can safely travel. So she's saying yes, and volunteers would be welcome, especially in the coming years, as we go from this idea of creating a physical space to actually creating it and needing help running a place and building it or, you know, all the different aspects that would be involved in making that happen. And also, particularly in the coming years, as people like Clow and the people she works with are all facing a lot of political pressure from the government and a lot of threats and a lot of attacks. And so any kind of support can really help counteract the political pressure that's been coming at them, even though they're not political you know, they're not part of a political party, right. but they get attacked as if they were. Cladley's in your biography, it says that tragically your brother and your sister-in-law were assassinated. I can't even imagine the pain and the horror of that. Is this something that is common, that environmental defenders are being killed because they're standing between capitalism and the future of the planet? Infelizmente, nos últimos anos... Yes, unfortunately, this has become, is a big problem and has become a very big problem in recent years. And a lot of our fight and our struggle and the work we do is to make sure that it doesn't become normalized because it's not normal for somebody to be killed for defending the environment. And that's why a lot of the work we do is to create memorials for the people who have been killed, like say Claudia and Maria, the foundation is formed in their name. There are lots of work of remembering the people who have been killed, but also to support the people before that happens. We have cases that we're supporting people who we've had to support them to be able to move from their homes in order to not die, to not be assassinated before the end of the year. Horrifying. What is the threat? Why is the threat so great that people are dying or not dying? People are being killed and assassinated. What do they perceive this great threat is? O medo é exatamente que ele que ele faça uma barreira the threat that the defenders represent is that they are a barrier between what the killers want, the greed that they want, maybe it's land, maybe it's the forest resources. <clears throat> so they see them as getting in the way, and the best way to be able to get what they want is to is to kill them to get them out of the way. Okay, so, sorry, Flick, you go. No, I just, how do you even start to surmount that level of corruption? I really don't know. I don't know where, how do you do this? But one of the things that you do or that we have is the partnerships we have within Brazil. There's CPT, the Pastoral Land Commission. There's Frontline Defenders. There's Not One More. There are a lot of social movements united within Brazil. There are people who are out there trying to support defenders um, so that they continue in their fight and continue to stay alive. But it is a very, very difficult, difficult struggle and a difficult task. Well, thank you for doing it because you're saving the whole world. You know, if you 
take care of rainforest in Brazil, that affects, you know, our ability to breathe. It's not lost on us. Eu só tenho a agradecer, né? Porque quando nós falamos sobre isso, quando nós falamos que a floresta está viva, as pessoas que estão lá. And saying, you know, she also is very grateful, and she knows that we all know that forest can't defend itself. And if we're going to continue to keep the forest standing, we have to be protecting the people that do this. And it is important, and we all recognize the role that defenders have because the forest can't protect themselves. We need to keep the, the defenders alive in order to protect the forests that are important for the rest. And also because the defenders are human beings who are valiant heroic human beings who who are out there doing something that's for all of us with and risking their lives. So thank you, Claudelise. And we will ask not one more for ways that we can share information about this, draw more attention to it, raise more money for it, and bring you more solidarity from around the world through The Guilty Feminist. And once you you have details about this refuge with uh, you know places where women can get care and be protected and uh, reset um, and be nurtured, um, we would love to help with that. That's really up our street. We could really help with that. And guilty feminists mobilize. Yeah, handy. They people. really do. You can't Eat see it. this at home when you're listening, but Cloudily smiled so beautifully and broadly and clapped her hands. And it was the first time we've seen her smile. So we're going to do this. <laughs> she deserves to smile more. Sim, eu, bom, eu quero agradecer profundamente, né, do fundo mesmo do meu coração. E todas as vezes que nós recebemos um apoio em que a gente consegue ajudar a outra. Um, she wants to thank you from the bottom of her and, and just this, every time that people offer help, that gives support, it makes it, it makes her smile. And there's been, we've cried so much, it's time to hope, hopefully find some hope and find some reasons to smile. And so she's just really grateful for being being able to be here and for the support that, that means so much. Claudelie Santos, thank you so much. Woo! So can I ask our guests, because we need to wind up so this podcast isn't four hours long, um, <laughs> is there anything you came to say that you didn't get to say? And how can our listeners help you? Oh boy, we have one hell of a wish list. Great. It's okay. long. Justine, you go first. So one of the top things for me personally is that you know, we're really struggling to gather all of this data on of all of the assaults that have happened. And like, there's a lot of sexual assault and like strip searching and stuff like that. And so to have some volunteers, we benefit so greatly when someone can contribute like a couple of days to helping with this data gathering. Is that in the UK? In the UK. And can they do that while being locked down? Yeah, it's a really great thing to do while being locked down. Yeah. And it's also... The data gathering is not fun, but being part of a community is amazing. So if anyone is just hankering, hankering to do a bit of admin, loves an Excel spreadsheet, get in touch. Got the emotional bandwidth. And got the emotional bandwidth, yeah. And is currently at home, not at the pub, because there's nowhere to fucking go. (laughs) Do you know what I'll do with that hour that I was going to sit in the pub with my mates or go to the gym or do this or that? Do you know what yeah. I'm going to do instead? I was going to go I'm to the going gym. to do this because that's <laughs> going to make a big difference. So if you're feeling a bit purposeless in lockdown and it like, what do I get out of bed for? And my job's more boring when I'm doing it on my own at home. All of that, this is a great thing to do. 
And Justine, how do they get in touch with you to say that they would like to volunteer for that? Um, my email address is justine at notonemore.org. And not one more is an N-O-T, the number one, M-O-R-E. Yeah. So all of the data on police conduct and the way that bailiffs have also been treating environmental protesters in the UK is being crammed into this report that we've written um, that kind of covers all of the research that we did throughout the past year. We're going to release it really soon and we'd really love help promoting it. We'd love, like defenders have said, that they really like this to lead to a public inquiry, which is a huge ask. And so any help towards that kind of lobbying would make all of the difference for us, really. It would, I sincerely would love help with that. Thank you. Great. Okay, we will get on that. Uh, anything you want help with, also put front and centre on your website and our listeners will go on there and I know they're all going to get behind this. Fran, anything you came to say that you did not get to say and how can we help? Cloudly say, as she said, you know, we're raising money and we're really looking to start a retreat centre in Brazil, in the forest. Um Hopefully that could be built actually on her family's land, like the they live on a forest reserve. And also, we're really keen to start a retreat centre in the UK as well, um, especially because sometimes people really need to get out of the country that they're in. Mm. And also because, as you know, as we've been saying, there's a lot of need here in the UK as well for activists, like Stop HS2 activists, anti-fracking activists, XR. We're also interested if anyone has any land that they're not doing anything with. <laughs> loads, mate, loads. Fran, you are not going to believe this. My, like, my, my roof of my flat is actually flat. It's actually flat. We could build Perfect. a little retreat up there. All right, we're moving in, Deborah. No council, there'll be no council approval for that, but I don't think we need it. We're activists. We're close to terrorists. <laughs> don't say this. If you're listening, this is a joke. This is, a, this is comedy and it's a joke. If you're listening from the government, I'm saying that wryly and ironically, I will neither disobey planning permission nor am I an activist close to a terrorist, just to be very clear. If I need the full recording in court at any point in my life. <laughs> Where um, do you need the land, Fran? Well, we may as well just throw it out there, <laughs> just in case. Where? Yeah. Anywhere, really, in the UK. Um, in the UK. Yeah. Right. I'm just narrowing it down to a country. And they don't mm -hmm. need to give you the land. They just need to give you permission to build a retreat on the land. Yes. Okay. We'd need it for quite a while. Right. <laughs> they don't need to sign it over to you. They just need to give you permission to build and for, yes. the, for the foreseeable. Yeah. yeah. They, they mm -hmm. can't give it to you for six months and then when you've built something amazing, take it back. Um, yeah. They, but, they can't <laughs> Airbnb it in six months. Not Airbnb. Okay, great. Mary, anything, maybe in between. anything you came to say or anything you'd like us to do? I think the one thing that we haven't said yet, I think we've touched on it and the importance of solidarity. Part of what we're doing is trying to make sure that people who are on the front lines don't feel alone um, and finding ways to show up. And that may be by giving an hour of your time for admin or it may be by donating some money so that we can help you know, help build this retreat centre or help help build a wall. <laughs> Can we all follow you and retweet you and repost your content and try to get other people to get engaged and involved? Yes, that kind of thing as well, because a lot of it is also visibility and it's about putting pressure on the government in Brazil, the government in Cambodia, and, and, and really using the skills and the access that we have here. Mm-hmm put pressure abroad and I think that you can yeah so it's about 
showing up in whatever way you can, if it's, you know, Justine and I were talking, you know, bringing mince pies to protesters on, on the front lines or, you know, making, tweeting, sending letters. It does, there's so many ways. Uh, it actually seems crueler to take mince pies in my personal opinion, but. Uh, <laughs> She's not Why does everyone mince hate mince pies? This is not fair. They're For one reason. They're a staple of joy. They are not made of meat. That's what mince is. I'm sorry, I'm Australian. <laughs> meat pies have mints in them. They have lamb mints. They have beef mints. I do see your point. I think Thank it's you. an archaic use of the word mince. Mince pie. And who's putting anyway? You do great work. And- but Mary's point stands like the friend like friendship is a really key part of the soul of Not One More. And it was so important for us to have Clow on the podcast because like beyond someone who we just work for or work with she's someone who we we love and in this year like researching the violence on the front lines like becoming so close and becoming friends with people who are doing amazing stuff is like I think it's changed their lives and it's changed our lives and yeah I like maybe turning up with mince pies is super gross and not a thing to do but like turning up with your heart (laughs) is kind of or listen an iced vovo if you're as an Australian would prefer or a tim tam uh, these are a golden gay time. These are Australian treats that or an other people don't understand. A milk arrowroot, a nice spice biscuit, pronounced nice. nice. There's so many options for you. There's a lot Break of options. a bag of cherry ripes, if you will, Felicity Ward. Oh, that's my um, number one. A packet of mint slices, perhaps? Yes. These are all brilliant Australian treats. <laughs> like after uh, can we go to your website and find out how we can get involved, whether that be by bringing loads more attention to not one more, if that's all we've got and all we can do, or whether it could be contributing funds and money, or whether we think, oh, I've got an acre of land that, that these guys <laughs> could use. And I'd love to have some lovely environmental defenders on it restoring and healing and repairing i mean it would be great karma if you did have some land and you really would be open to that it'd be great karma if there is an afterlife you are getting so many points if the good place is real uh, that's a lot of points so I, I would think about that if not maybe we could all chip in and buy you some land yes, please. there's all sorts of options there um mary is giving the thumbs up to that she would like us to buy not one more some land. But I think some, there's some land that's not very expensive. I think it's going to be all doable. I think it's um, doable. Get involved. Follow them on the socials. Go to their website. Let's get involved. Let's get together on this because I think if this is not a place for feminism, women defending the environment, which is our world, our collective world, and you know, going towards danger and needing to restore and heal and repair, then what is? I don't know. Grace Petrie. Hello. Have you got a revivifying song that's going to make these women feel like carrying on another day in this harsh, harsh world? Oh, jeez. No pressure, Deb. My God. We are looking to you very specifically to feel good about ourselves right now. What have you got for us? These women's lives hang in your balance. (laughs) (laughs) She's got her Bob Dylan harmonica out. I don't know, man. It's serious activism. It's going to be It's not just protest. It's activism when she's got the harmonica out. You've really, uh, you've got high hopes, haven't you, for the power of folk music, you guys. Um, uh, you're all we've got. <laughs> I've heard you before and I've, I have felt inspired. I've done more because of you, That's Grace. That's very nice. 
every time I, every time Grace is about to sing, I'm like, oh yeah, Grace is great. And then she sings, I'm like, Grace is actually spectacular in every way. And why don't I listen to folk music all the time? And I just want to change. That's what I think. Very motivating. It's very motivating. And very emotional. Yeah, it's very very emotional, Grace. Grace's songs. So, uh, one that goes, uh, you build a wall, we'll build a ladder. And I don't think that's appropriate here because, uh, the walls that are being built in today's podcast are by the good guys. <laughs> so uh, that, that one we can't see today. No, that's not the one I was going to go for. Um, can you guys hear me okay? Can you hear the guitar? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, I'm going to do my best to get through this. I'm having a, I'm having a shocking time with the old Wi-Fi. But uh, live, live television, ladies and gentlemen. Um, but... Uh, so I, uh, what, uh, what, blimey, I say, I feel like I say this every time, but what an incredible, what an incredibly inspiring cohort of people to be able to sort of, uh, listen to this evening. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think you're all absolutely amazing. I, I, I think the key word that came up a couple of times is solidarity, isn't it? Um, I think at the end of the day, you know, we, we do, we need that throughout all of these campaigns. And, um, and I think, you know, like, Maybe more so than ever this past year, I think it's been very easy to feel isolated. And I think that is the opposite of motivating, isn't it? I think the idea that we're all a part of something bigger than ourselves is the most motivating force uh, that there can be in in activism. Um, So, yeah, I wrote this song a long time ago. I wrote it um, in uh, 2015 when we just lost an election uh, and... You know, heaven knows we've lost a lot more elections since then, but... Um, we thought that was going to be the worst of it. We did. Oh, those were the days, weren't they, Flake? My gosh. Um, but uh, basically it's about, it's about trying, to, um, trying to keep going and, uh, and the idea that on the days that you have, you know, a tiny, tiny, tiny amount left in your tank, you know, other people will have more in their tank and at the end of the day we are a big team. That's the thing to bear in mind. Um, and it's called If There's a Fire in Your Heart, and it goes this. Gokken said there ain't no gods Excuse me while I shout the odds The leaders have their cattle prods But we have the stage Look around and all I see Is disempowered misery And they dress it up as apathy And say that we don't care But if there's a fire In your heart It only needs to be A candle Every fire in the world It started from one spark So take the fire In all our hearts We will be more than they can handle Take my hand In here tonight And we will light up all the dark I know there's winter all around And I see your spirits getting down You thought we would have turned around a bit by now but I need you to have faith in us a generation brave enough to build a world on peace and love it's never too late cause if there's a fire in your heart it only needs to be a candle every fire in the world started from one spark So take the fire in all our hearts We will be more than they can handle 
take my hand in here tonight and we will light up all the dark If there's a fire in your lungs it only needs to be Justine Taylor and Claudalee Santos with music from Grace Petrie. The Guilty Feminist theme tune was composed by Mark Hodge and produced by Nick Sheldon. The producer was Tom Salinsky for the Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Rachel Craftman, Gina DCO, and everyone else who made this episode happen, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. How many languages do you speak, Mary? Lazy. What's the third one? <laughs> Spanish. It's, just, it's, it's almost the same. It is not, and that's a dirty lie. Portuguese. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get complaints about that. Portuguese um, sounds like Portuguese It's not the same. No, um, they're not the same. I'm sorry. You're okay. Right. So <laughs> I speak this much Spanish, which I learned in South America. And then we ran into an Australian guy on the plane, and he started speaking Portuguese to a woman behind us. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? This is nothing like Spanish. I was like, I'll probably get a few words here and there. No, I'm still angry about it. And that was two decades ago. It's a whole different language, Flick. You learnt one language conversationally and you were angry it wasn't a second language. I can't 
No, no, but everyone's like, oh, Spanish and Portuguese are actually pretty similar. No, they are not. What's it? Bomb? Those noises. What's bomb? It's, it's, look, Sorry, I'm, there's I'm, so I'm much kidding. to protest about. The fact that Spanish and Portuguese aren't the same language just feels very low down on our priorities in this I'm podcast. trying to keep it light, Deborah. Okay. <laughs> These women are fighting injustice, and like, while it is an injustice that all languages aren't the same, so you can like, speak. Uh, <laughs> it sounds a little bit colonial, doesn't it? It does. Why doesn't anyone speak attacked. the same as me? Why aren't all languages English? Why can't a woman be more like a man? Um,